Y'all having so much fun, I feel bad to stop it. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being with us on this uh, Sunday before Labor Day. I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, how's worship? Y'all have a good time? Yeah. Uh, I was preaching in the park. Um, y'all, it's crazy what happens when you speak to grace, speak grace to people who are desperate for grace. Um, it's amazing. But it was, I, I had a great time downtown with the Road Church, as I always do. Uh, we're going to pray together. You can just, you can stay seated. You can just raise your hands uh, with me in heaven. Father, I just pray for strength right now as I, uh, I'm about to preach again. And Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace that is poured out through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord God, we just pray that our ears are open today, our hearts are open, our minds are open to receive today. Um, to not let things of the past we've been taught or learned hinder us from where you're pushing us now into the future. And where you're uh, guiding this church to be a church that's filled with grace and truth. So Lord God, we just thank you for this day. In my name we pray. Amen. And amen. Uh, before we actually get into what we're talking, oh, sorry, y'all, I'm talking real loud. The uh, microphone down, downtown at the Road Church, I have to like scream into it. Like, whoa, I'm loud. There we go. That's good. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, you don't got to turn to it. This is not our main passage. I just found it interesting. In Acts chapter 15, verses 23 through 29, uh, Acts 15 is actually approximately uh, 20 years or so after the death of Jesus. Um, and this passage just shows that revelation takes time sometimes. Anybody know that? Like, growing in revelation takes time. And this is the Jerusalem council. And so Paul and Barnabas are coming uh, because the Jewish Christians don't know what to do with the Gentile Christians. Is anyone in here 100% Jewish? Okay, so we're all the Gentiles, okay? So the Jews didn't know what to do with us. Why? Because Gentiles are being filled with Holy Spirit. And they're like, that's not possible, right? Only the Jews, Jesus came only for the Jews. And so they're very confused about what's happening. So y'all, I'm encouraged by this because this council is taking place 20 years, okay, after the death of Christ, which shows me, y'all, sometimes it takes us a while to get stuff Jesus said, which is okay because the gospel is a journey. But starting in verse 23, okay, this is the council. Paul and Barnabas come. Paul's testifying that Holy Spirit's filling people. Peter then backs him up. And then they come together to decide what's going to happen. So it says, they wrote this letter by them. Okay, so the whole council, all the leaders in Jerusalem, write this letter to the Gentile churches. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles, that's us, in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some went out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So what does that mean to us Gentiles? We don't keep the law. We don't live under the law. It was never for us. It was for the people of Israel. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. All right, so y'all, the early churches, they could not read people or illiterate, so they would send men from the church to go read these letters to them. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to who? And to us, all the leaders, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Okay, it's four things. That you abstain from things offered to, the, to idols, from blood, from things strangled. Okay, this sounds weird to us, and it's not actually according to the law of Moses. They write this to the Gentiles to be cautious and weary for the sake of unity. 
Why? Because the Jews had a very strict dietary rule. This is why Paul says you may need to stop eating things because you could be a stumbling block to your Jewish brothers. And he says, likewise, to the Jews, you shouldn't be doing things that are a stumbling block to your Gentile brothers. And so these first three things don't have anything to do with law. They have to do with unity and love, keeping the unity in the church, because the Jews saw Gentiles doing these things, they would not associate with them. And what happens when you don't associate, you divide. And from sexual morality, well, why is that? Because we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. So the first three things have nothing to do with law, and the last is just to benefit us. And he said, if you keep yourselves from, from these, you will do well, farewell. Y'all, it is so simple for us Gentile Christians who, even Jewish Christians, y'all, we were never put under the law. You have never lived according to the old covenant. You are a new covenant people. I need us to hear this. We are the church of Jesus Christ, not the old covenant people of Israel. And so I see a lot of the time in churches, we're continually mixing old with new, old with new, and we never find who we are. And so I want to encourage you today, instead of heaping laws on yourself, just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Why? Because y'all, 20 years after Jesus, they sit and they say, what do we tell Gentiles? How do they follow Jesus? How do they do it? They didn't say follow 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. No, 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 no. They said, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And that is, y'all, that is where we are. We're not the old covenant people. We're new covenant people. But so often we mix and match and we forget even who we are. 1 John 3, 23 says this. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So what do we do? We love Holy Trinity and we love each other. Y'all, it's really that simple. All the rules we add are because we did that to ourselves. It's really this simple. We love one another. Why? Because love fulfills the law. Why? Because when you love God, you don't do wrong to God. And when you love one another, you don't do wrong to one another. You don't need 80 rules of what not to do if you love one another. Who knows this? I don't have a checklist of what not to do with my wife. I just love my wife, and therefore we have a healthy marriage. I mean, two years, two babies, come on, y'all, it's healthy. I'm just... But listen, I don't need rules on how to be married. Why? Because I love my wife. I follow Jesus. It works out. I don't need rules for this thing. Y'all, it's funny because I talk about grace last week, and I could just feel in your spirit, like, okay, but what are the rules? What are the rules to grace? What are the rules to this thing? I mean, today we're going to talk a little bit about that. But y'all, there are no rules to grace. And you got to hear this because this messes with some of us because we're not used to freedom, freedom. We're used to partial freedom. We're not used to freedom, freedom in Jesus because every time we hear freedom, we think rules. <laughs> okay, I get I'm free, but now what do I do, right? And it's that one, two, three step. But you're not under law. You're under what? Grace. You're not under law, but you're under what? Grace. One more time. You're not under law, but you're under grace, grace, grace. grace. Praise you, Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now we're getting into what I'm actually going to talk about today. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If you're taking notes, uh, this teaching, message, whatever you want to call it, uh, we're calling it the works of grace. The works of grace. Um, I'm getting deeper revelation every day of grace, and it, it scares me. <laughs> uh, it's actually really scary when you get a true revelation of grace because it's so much more than we're taught it is. It's so much more than just forgiveness of sins, which is amazing. Forgiveness of sins is incredible. Who here is thankful for, for forgiveness of sins? Praise God. Past, present, and future are forgiven in Jesus. Praise God for that aspect of grace. But grace is so much bigger. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the what of God? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. I love this so much. Created in Christ Jesus for what? What does that say? Good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that mean? We live in them. We are not, listen, this is not part of the verse. This is something I'm adding. You are not saved by works. You are saved for works. You are not saved by works. You are saved for works. I love this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. I love the humility of Paul, but he sees the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. For I, Paul, and the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Isn't it crazy that the one who persecuted the church, the majority of our Bible was actually written by? Isn't that beautiful to see the restoration of the Father? Like, y'all, that excites me. If Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, persecuting the church, can be restored and reconciled and then write the vast majority of our Bible, just imagine what can happen in us when we receive grace. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, by the what? I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Y'all, all of Paul's work, what does he credit it to? God's grace. He accredits all y'all. He, he reached more people than any other missionary who's ever lived. And he doesn't attribute it to anything but what? God's grace. Grace is more than just forgiveness of sins. Even though forgiveness is amazing, I'm so thankful that I'm forgiven. But it's so much more than we think. We so often attribute more power to our sin than we do grace. We act like the moment we sin, we're no longer under grace, right? Grace can't be that good. Why? Because I got to earn grace. Can I tell you, you could never earn grace. But I'm also not going to tell you you don't deserve it because you don't determine what you deserve. The one who created you determines what you deserve. So the fact of the matter is if we live in that mindset of we got to earn grace, we're constantly fighting this battle when Christ said, no, it's already been won. Not under law, you're under grace. So the fact of the matter is we attribute so much to sin instead of to grace. And y'all, this is what makes me sad in the modern American church, at least our denomination. When you speak of grace, people get nervous. Oh, he's speaking, oh, he's going to take grace too far. Man, there's going to take grace too far. Y'all, that saddens me. Instead of, y'all, as we of all people should be amazed by grace. Like amazing grace, that song so many of y'all love. You should truly be amazed by the level of grace that's been poured out. So the fact that we're not in awe and wonder of this grace that's poured out on us, but we get cautious, y'all, that, that saddens me. That saddens me because why? That shows that we have been trained to live under a law we were actually never born into. No Gentile was ever born under the law. I need you to hear this. No Gentile. That was the Jewish culture. Listen, when Jews started coming into the faith, Paul, okay, Paul's spreading the gospel. When people are coming behind him, they call Judaizers. It was people who mixed the law with Jesus. And they would come in and say, yes, believe in Jesus, but now get circumcised and follow the whole law. Just like we read right there, there were people coming behind uh, Paul and trying to change everything he was teaching. And the sad fact of the matter is modern churches look more like Judaizer churches than they do Jesus churches. So the fact we get nervous about grace, we get nervous, of, oh, they're going to take it too far. Who are you to say what is too far? Okay, we're, we're going to get into this. So I've got two things to say about that. The fact, if we think that, is usually because we don't truly understand what grace is. We don't have a true revelation. We hear grace, we hear forgiveness, but we don't know all the other things that are flowing through the grace of the Father. Y'all, the grace of the Father is poured out on the earth to all who may receive. So oftentimes it's due to a true lack of understanding and revelation of what grace is. Because if you had a true revelation of grace, you wouldn't go around policing how other people respond to grace. 
Grace doesn't police. Grace constantly gives what someone couldn't earn. And so if we're policing how other people respond to grace, we probably personally haven't had a true deep revelation of what grace actually means. I don't know how we Christians thought we became the grace police when we're supposed to be the servants of grace. Like, we're supposed to be the ones constantly pouring out grace, not telling who deserves grace and who doesn't. And the second thing is this. This is my main question. Who am I to police how you respond to grace? We all should just be excited that people are responding at all. Do we understand? A lot of y'all have lost family, right? If they start to receive grace, are you going to tell them how to do it? Or are you going to be like, yes, receive that? Right? Because some of y'all are desperate for your family members to know Jesus. And y'all ain't about to become a stumbling block to them knowing Jesus. So the fact of the matter is we as the church were never made by Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, to police grace. We were meant to extend and pour out grace. Hmm. Listen, Paul said this, and I love this. Paul's writing a letter, and he says, I know about all the people coming behind me preaching Jesus. And he said, even some of them preached Jesus out of spite. Y'all, people were preaching Jesus to make Paul mad when Paul was in prison. They're, they're trying to still, and you know what Paul says? Paul says, that's fine, as long as people are hearing about Jesus. Paul said, I don't care how they hear about grace, as long as they're hearing about grace. And so for us to try to police people when we hear the, oh, grace, grace, y'all, we should be in awe and wonder of the beauty of grace. Why? Because you would not be here today if it wasn't for grace. Hmm. Listen, we, we often call it misusing grace or taking grace too far. And it's simply what I call claiming grace, but not truly putting faith in grace. And this is the thing about it. There's a main difference between claiming grace, right? These are the people that we see Paul writing to in Romans 6. Uh, the book of Romans is called a diatribe. It means he's having a conversation. That's why he write. Why? Because people would have read his letter to the Romans and two people would have read the book. It would have been like a conversation. Okay. And so Paul in Romans six says, well, should we continue on sinning? So grace may abound. And no, he says, grace actually frees you from sin. How can a dead man continue in sin? You, you've died with Christ, been raised again by grace. How can you sin? And so he's having this conversation. And so the people who were saying, oh, let's keep sinning because I'm free under grace. Those are people who claim grace but never have a true revelation of what grace actually is because true revelation of grace doesn't just show you freedom. It shows you the good works that you were actually made to do. So claiming grace means that you acknowledge the objective truth of grace. What does objective truth mean? It means factual, evidential, unbiased truth that stands. So it means that you acknowledge that grace exists, but it's not activated in your life. So you don't walk in the reality of it. Do you know how many promises are, promises are in the New Testament that we don't claim, that we don't walk in? Do you understand scripture in Ephesians tells us that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. When was the last time you act like you were an overcomer? The promises in the scripture we don't truly believe, so we never truly walk in them. Why? Because it takes faith, and faith can be scary when your situation looks the opposite of what you're saying that you believe. So they don't respond. And so this is the thing. Claiming grace usually leads to two very different extremes, and we're going to talk about extremes today. It leads to two very different extremes. Taking, claiming grace can either make you a legalist or a liberalist. Let's talk about this. When you don't truly believe in grace, you're going one way or the other. Some of us have become police of grace and you become a legalist. I received grace, but now, nope, you can't just do whatever you want with this thing. Come on now. There's rules to this game, but is there? Listen, pause. Just think about it. Think this through. 
And the second is you become a liberalist. What does that mean? You can just do whatever, whenever, no consequences. But Paul writes, he says, actually, you're free to do all things, but not everything is beneficial. Why? Because even sin on this earth has actual consequences here. If I were to cheat on my wife, probably not going to end up good for me, correct? If I go around lying around the church, it's probably not going to end up good for me, right? Sin has real consequences in this life. I'm not even talking about the life to come. I'm talking in this life, sin has real consequences. So Paul says, be careful because you're free in Jesus, but not everything you do is beneficial for your relationship with Jesus. Not that he distances himself, but when you have a guilty conscience, what do you do? You distance yourself. So he's saying, be careful. So the fact of the matter is, no, we don't just do whatever we want to do with grace. That only happens when we claim grace, but we don't put our faith in grace. Because when you put your faith in something, you're given revelation of something. But when you claim something, there's no guarantee you'll ever get past the surface level. So there's differences in this. This is why it says grace through faith, not grace through claiming grace that you're saved. It's grace through faith. Why? Because faith, when you believe in something, it becomes real to you. If I claim to be a billionaire, but I only got $1,000 in the bank, is it true? I mean, come on now. You can claim a lot of things. y'all. I have heard people lie about themselves to make themselves seem great, but they were claiming something that was never actually true. So you can claim something with never actually putting your faith into it. And so I believe there are only really two ways, quote unquote, you can misuse grace. And this is what I really think. You either don't know what grace actually means. I think a lot of people, quote unquote, what we call misuse grace or take it too far. I don't think it's because we genuinely taught what grace is. It's by grace through faith you are saved. But then we don't look at all the other like 103 scriptures that talk about grace. And so we take one verse and we don't look at the rest. And so it means one thing to us. So I think mainly people say, oh, it means forgiveness. That means I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven. It's because they truly don't know what grace is. Or this right here. You don't know what grace has actually given you. So you may believe in grace, but you don't understand that through grace comes spiritual gifts. Through grace comes the good works. Oh, that's, why, that's why here in verse 10, good works is in the same passage as grace. Why? Because you were made for good works, and those are not unlocked in you until you believe in grace. This is, how, this is why I can go downtown and be effective to the homeless. Why? Because I have been graced to take the message of hope to people. I've been graced to do that. And so it's effective when it happens. Why? Because I've been graced to do that. That's why both times I've been downtown, it's like 30 or so people are accepting a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because I have been graced in myself to take hope to people. So the fact of the matter is I didn't have that until I was graced to do it. And so really, a lot of the times, I really, I really think it's not malicious, right? We get mad at people for taking grace too far. Like, look, look what they're doing. How dare they? Y'all, I believe it's true ignorance, not malicious intent. I, I don't believe it's malicious. Most people who are claiming Jesus are not trying to be malicious with the way they respond to grace. And listen, we've got to stop being so dogmatic towards other people of different denominational persuasions. Just because a church does not believe exactly how you believe or their people don't conduct themselves in grace exactly like you do doesn't mean you get to police what they're doing. First off, how can we point fingers when we don't even have relationship? That's like, listen, Miss Shannon, that's like me going up to Cullen and be like, Cullen, you are grounded. You'd be like, fool, who are you talking to my kid like that? Right? Why? Because there's no relationship. I can't ground Cullen. That's not my place to do so. So when we as the church act like we're the police of grace, we don't draw people in. We push people away. Grace draws people. Pharisees push people away. <laughs> so listen, y'all. For me personally, one of the most beautiful things Jesus has freed me from is a dogmatic nature. 
Listen, you need to hear this. I went to a college that was very dogmatic in our belief sets, and if you didn't believe exactly what we believe, listen, y'all, it was a Coke or Pepsi type deal, right? You only had two choices. Choose one or the other. If you were outside of that range, boy, you, mm, you don't belong here, right? Y'all, I used, to, I used to literally weigh in on people's salvation. Who am I to say who's saved or not? That's, that's crazy person talk. And so I was in this place to be dogmatic. Y'all, one of the most beautiful things Christ freed me from is dogmatism. Because if you're dogmatic, you can't pour out grace. Do we understand this? And if you're dogmatic, it's almost impossible to receive grace. It says, James tells us that God pours out grace on the humble, but he pushes away the prideful. And listen, this is the thing. When you see someone, quote unquote, would you believe taking grace too far? We don't correct that by heaping law on people's heads. You need to understand. You don't correct misuse of grace by heaping law on people. Listen, you do not correct an extreme with another extreme. You correct an extreme with balance. I need you to hear this. Law is one extreme. What they would call hyper grace is another extreme. You do not correct this extreme with another extreme. Otherwise, you're only ever an extremist. Christ died and came and lived the perfect life so we could understand what balance looks like in the kingdom of God. So you don't correct that because a lot of you are saying, well, this person, this person. First off, it's not your position to police them. I need us to hear this as Christians who've been Christians for a while. It's not your job to police them. You should be excited they're responding at all because grace can absolutely change everything about you in your entire life, okay? And second off, this right here is you don't correct an extreme with an extreme. If I see someone living a life I don't approve of and I go give them a thousand rules, then they're going to be stuck in the same thing they were already in because now they can't even live up to what I just gave them. Y'all, listen, y'all, that's some truth right there. You don't correct an extreme with another extreme. As someone who's been an extremist my whole life, who I couldn't find any grace or mercy for people, and listen, I'm speaking this to you because I love you, because your loved ones are not going to come to Jesus by you policing grace. They're going to come to Jesus by you pouring out grace. I need you to hear this because a lot of y'all tell me, I'm praying for household salvation. When was the last time you walked in grace to this person? Right? And so grace is what draws people to the goodness of the Father because grace shows us the goodness of the Father. Grace is not a doorway to spiritual laziness or apathy. Y'all, I'm not saying you just go out and do whatever you want to do. I'm saying when you have a true revelation of grace, it changes you. And this is where I feel like we get stuck, especially, especially whenever we're dogma. God is judge. Yes, God is righteous judge, but we don't determine what righteous judgment means. Right? So let's get back into that. A lot of the times we put our subjective truth on God's objective truth. Objective truth stands forever. You can't change it, and it's true whether you receive it or don't receive it. But oftentimes we let our subjective truth, which is shifted by our emotions, shifted by our experience, shifted by our lenses, and then we portray that on God. So a lot of what you say, oh, God should do this, God never even considered what you're telling him to do. I love in the Old Testament... The passage we all love, right? God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Do you know what he was actually talking about? Go read the first couple verses before that. The prophet is begging God to rain down his wrath on the earth. These people are horrible. These people are nasty. They have not received you. And God responds in grace and, in grace and mercy. And while, while the prophet is telling God to smite these people, God is saying, no, you don't understand. My mercy, my grace is so much bigger than anything your mind can wrap around. So next time we go to play righteous judge and police people, we have to remind ourselves we are not God. Oftentimes we end up judging people based off one fall, but we didn't see the million years of trauma they went through to get to that point of finally snapping. This is where grace comes into play. 
some will receive. So grace is not a doorway to spiritual laziness and irresponsibility. It is a springboard, okay? It is a springboard to a life of obedience and fruitfulness. Under the law, obedience is a burden. Who knows this? When you heap law on yourself and you try to live according to these things, obedience is a burden. Why? Because you know you're never actually going to live up to the standard that was set. Obedience under grace is a beautiful joy because now you understand it's about existing in the Holy Trinity. (laughs) Lord God, give us a revelation of grace. Faith in grace activates the good works in our life that we were made for. And this is the beauty of it. A lot of us, I hear a lot of you say, well, I just don't know what God's called me to do. Have you had a revelation of grace? And oftentimes I can tell if someone's had a revelation of grace by the way they respond to themselves, not just others. I used to beat myself up because, oh my, I failed God. I I failed him. I got to earn back his love. I got to do it. But when I had a revelation of grace, I realized there was nothing I could do now in Jesus to be cast away from him. Romans 8, 31 through 39, y'all, basically tells us it's, it's impossible for us to get out of the hands of the Father. Dang, y'all, I had homeless people shout me down this morning. Y'all sitting here like some zombies for me. Golly. So my question is, what are you graced for? Pause and think about this question. What are you graced for? Because a lot of us aren't operating. Y'all, listen, good works are not just in the church. A good work is you loving your children well. A good work is you loving your spouse well, even when they're not loving you so well, right? So good works are not confined to the church, but they sure do help pastors like me when we're looking for people to volunteer. I'm just saying, Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to what? The grace given to us through whose gift? Christ's gift. One more time, but to each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does that mean? He pours out gifts, spiritual gifts in us according to the grace we have now received. Romans 12, 6 says this, Romans 12, 6. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So what is this saying? When you receive grace, you're not only forgiven... You're not only redeemed and reconciled, you are now instilled with spiritual gifts that now coincide with the good works you were created for. And so my question is, listen, to those of us who want to police people the way they respond to grace, do you walk in your spiritual gifts every day of your life? Because if you want to patrol one area of grace, you better look at yourself and re-examine yourself and say, am I walking in my spiritual gift before I point my finger at Miss uh, Jackie? Y'all, sorry, it's been a long day. Look, if, if I see Miss Jackie living in sin and I look at her and say, Jackie, come on now, that's a misuse of grace. And Jackie says, when's the last time you went and did what you were graced for? I gotta be like, all right, you right? And so listen, this is why Jesus never tells us, the only time Jesus tells you to judge is by a fruit. He wasn't talking about everyone around you. He was talking about who you follow. Why? Because he was talking to the Pharisees. So he looks at all the people and he says, judge a, judge a tree by its fruit. What was Jesus saying? Follow me because their fruit is dead. So it wasn't you look around at every believer judging whether they're good enough or not. No, it's who you follow is who you're judging, not everyone around you. So listen, before we go policing and we don't even understand what the full scope is, look at yourself. This is why all of Jesus' teachings were introspective. All of Jesus' teachings were what? If you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you already committed adultery. What was he saying? Bring the focus back to yourself. If you go to pull a twig out of your brother's eye, first take that big old branch out of your own eye. What was Jesus saying? Stop looking and focusing on other people. Stop. 
Y'all, listen, we are not the police. We are the servants. And I've realized one of the main problems is that we literally have no idea what we've been graced to do. Majority of Christians, y'all, we don't even know our spiritual gifts. We don't even know what we've been graced to do. So therefore, we don't do anything because we're afraid to step out because we don't know what we're graced to do. And partially that's my fault as a pastor to not be like, hey, this is your spiritual gift. This is your spiritual gift. But the fact of the matter is when we get that deeper revelation of grace, you don't need me telling you what it is. I, as your pastor, I am not God. I do not know your whole life. I do not know all of your giftings. I do not know all of your talents. I see you for like two or three hours a week. I do not know you the way the Father does. And so instead of expecting me to tell you what to do, talk to your Father in heaven, who's the good Father who pours out good gifts on his children, and let him reveal to you through grace what you are graced to do. Scripture tells us that in Christ Jesus we were created, and Scripture goes on to say, before the foundations of the world, you were created for a very specific purpose. I cannot reveal to you what happened before the foundations of the world. But guess who can? The Father can. The Father can show you what has been placed inside of you and what he has created you to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, Lamont. Listen, I'm not saying do whatever you want to do. And listen, y'all, the fact that I talk about grace and people are like, oh, man, someone going to take that the wrong way. No, 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 no. First off, that's because we don't understand grace. Second of all, I'm not saying do whatever you want to do. I tell you every Sunday now, pray for deeper revelation because with deeper revelation comes what you are going to do. Don't expect me to teach you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all this stuff down the line when I can put out, y'all only have an hour with you on a Sunday morning to put forth truth. It is up to you what you do with that truth. I can talk about grace, but what do you do Monday through Saturday? Are you praying, Lord God, give me deeper revelation of grace? So I'm not telling you take grace and do whatever you want to do. I'm saying take grace and pray to the Father to reveal to you what that actually means. Because through that, you are transformed. Not what I say on Sunday mornings. It may spark something, but it's not through what I say on Sunday mornings that is going to change you. The crazy thing about Saul, who became Paul, is that he had a revelation of grace. And what did he do? He didn't sit there and say, oh, thank you, God. I'm free and forgiven from the law. No, he takes that and he goes and impacts the world. Why? Because he saw everything that was already in him when he was a Pharisee can now be redeemed for the purpose of the kingdom. And so he had a revelation of grace. And what did Paul do? He didn't sit on his behind. He went. But that was through a revelation of grace. So that is the difference. When we put faith in grace, things are revealed in us. When we claim grace, we only walk in one facet of what that means. Those who have had a true revelation of grace never misuse grace. I need y'all to understand that because we're so iffy about grace. Y'all, if you've had a true revelation of grace, you cannot misuse grace. Why? Because grace is not one, one facet. It's multifaceted. I try to make things too simple sometimes. Lord Jesus, the problem with thinking that grace is only about forgiveness is that we miss out on the fact that in grace, there are stewarding responsibilities. I need you to hear this. In grace, there are stewarding responsibilities because through grace, things are poured out in you you did not have before grace. I'm going to say this one more time. The problem with thinking that grace is only about forgiveness is that we don't realize there are stewarding responsibilities that come alongside grace. Did you know money and stewardship are actually the two, the two top mentioned things in the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Stewardship is by far the most mentioned thing in the entire scripture when it comes to categories. So I would think it's pretty important that stewardship, we put an emphasis on it. What does that mean? That means we care for and take pride in the things that God has given us. So when we only think of pride as forgiveness, we miss the whole fact that now through, through grace, 
Through grace is given to us spiritual gifts and good works we are meant to steward. If I'm not a good steward of God's stuff, he probably ain't going to give me more. A lot of us are asking for more things from God when we never took care of the stuff he gave us to begin with. If we are not actively walking in spiritual gifts, who are we to determine how people walk in grace? Grace produces good works and grace sustains us in them. You need to write that down if you're taking notes. Grace produces good works and grace sustains us in them. 2 Timothy 2.1 says this, So you, my son, be strong, strengthened inwardly in the grace, spiritual blessing that is to be found only in Christ Jesus. What does grace do? It strengthens our inner being. James 4, 6. But he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. This is why he says God sets himself against the proud and the haughty, but he gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. Grace produces good works and it sustains us in them. Faith is first a response to grace. And out of that response flows good works. I can always tell when someone's had a deep revelation of grace because they are doing the good works that they were made for. Why? Because first response to grace, right? You receive the reconciliation, the forgiveness, the redemption, but then out of that living water that has been placed out inside of you, good works flow. I'm telling you, man, you cannot receive grace and be nasty to people on a regular basis. That's just not how it works. Why? Because when you get that deep level of grace and you start to give people stuff they could never earn from you, you start to act towards family members who you couldn't stand. You start to show them love. Those coworkers you just wanted to slap, you start to be gracious towards them. Why? Because when you receive revelation of grace, it flows out of you. I love James because James tells us what you truly believe is what flows out of you. And the thing is, if we truly believe in grace, guess what we're going to be functioning in? The good works we were created for. Miss Rhonda, what I was created for is not what you were created for. You're going to reach people I can never reach. I'm going to reach people you can never reach. We're not even going to reach them in the same way. So the fact of the matter is, if you're just looking to me thinking that I'm the good works you were created, it's false. You're never going to live up to it. Why? Because when you, it's only when you have a revelation of grace can you flow in what God created you for. Grace unlocks the door to your giftings. I need you to hear this. Grace unlocks the door to your giftings. I see a lot of gifted people in ministry that function in the gifts of the flesh and not the gifts of the spirit. Why? Because I see the way they talk to people and there is no grace. No grace. Grace unlocks the door for our spiritual gifts. I was decently gifted before I received grace. After I received grace, I believe I'm far more effective. Why? Because now it flows out of me. It was a burden to serve people in the past. Now I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life. In the past, I would have never gone and preached to a bunch of homeless people, about 100 homeless people outside in a park. But now through grace, those things flow out of me without even trying. Why? Because this is what God created me for. James 2, 14 through 18. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. One of my favorite passages in the entirety of the Bible. Why? Because what we truly believe is what flows out of our lives. I can claim Jesus all the day long, but do I look like Jesus? I can claim to love my wife, but what does our relationship look like behind closed doors? Right? So what we believe, what we put our faith in shows through our lives. And so this is just the, the exhortation because, y'all, this is about it. I just want to show you that grace is not the single tiny thing that so many of us have put it in a box. Grace is beyond it. We're going to keep talking about grace for the next couple of months. Why? Because we all need a deeper revelation of grace. We say we want to be the church for the outcast, for the church for the broken, the church for those who have been church hurt. We cannot be those people until we walk in grace. Why? Because you'll find yourself judging people without even trying to judge them. And the moment someone comes in here who is broken and we point that finger, guess where they're not coming back? And so I'm fine for talking about grace for the next year if that means we get to the place of being the people we want to be in Jesus. I would much rather us be a gracious church than anything else. I would much rather, I don't care if anyone hears anything I ever say. If we love one another, that is good enough for me. So this is my exhortation for us when it comes to grace. Stop worrying about the response of others and pray for a deeper revelation of grace so you can flow and thrive in the good works you were created for. You cannot thrive when you're constantly looking at other people. When you are more focused on other people than yourself, you will never live to the stature that Christ created you for. One more time, this is my exhortation because we're going to be talking about grace for a long time. Why? Because I ain't seen it extended too much. So we're going to become a people of grace that talk about grace, that live in grace. Stop worrying about the response of others and pray for a deeper revelation of grace so you can flow and thrive in the good works you were created for. Do you know how hard it is to focus on other people when you're busy doing what you were created for? If I wasn't busy doing what I was created for, I could easily look at every single one of your lives and nitpick. Y'all listen, they ain't nothing more nasty than a critical nitpicking spirit in the church of God. Why? Because a critical nitpicking spirit divides, it does not unite. A kingdom divided cannot stand. Nothing nastier than a nitpicking critical spirit. But when you walk in your own giftings, you don't have to look at what the next person is doing. And guess what? When you flow in what you were created for, you don't even compare yourself to the person doing the same thing. Because you know this is what I was created for. It doesn't matter what Johnny or Lucy's doing down the road. This is what I was created for. Holy Spirit just keeps telling me it's time for grace to be activated in Crossroads. Y'all, he just keeps telling me that it's time for grace to be activated in Crossroads. And if you believe that, I want you to stand up as I pray for us as a congregation. Because, y'all, this is a new season for us. Um, I got some guys coming in the new year who are far better teachers than I am, who are going to be able to walk us through some stuff a lot better than I can, who've become spiritual fathers to me. And I'm so excited, man, because this is a new season. Everyone in this church always says, we want to be the church for the outcast. We want to be the church for the broken. We cannot be those people until we walk in the grace of Jesus Christ you to raise your hands to heaven with me. Father, we just pray for a deeper, 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 deeper revelation of grace. <laughs> that we start to act towards people ways we never imagined we would, in a grace we never imagined we would. And Father, I pray out of that grace that we receive the, the forgiveness, the reconciliation, and the redemption. I pray we receive that because restored people are amazing people. 
redeemed people walk in that, in that mode of, of redemption. People who've been reconciled walk forth in the ministry of reconciliation that Christ has given to us. So Father, through that, I pray that as we understand grace deeper, we're strengthened in our inner person. We are given perseverance to push through and your good works and spiritual gifts flow out of us. And so King Jesus, in this season, I just pray we start to walk in our spiritual gifts like never before. That you open people's eyes to their far more gifts than they ever imagined. Father, I know there are people in this church who have my spiritual gifts double that and they just haven't opened their eyes to them yet. So Father, I just pray you reveal the giftedness in our people through your grace. That we don't think more highly than we ought to, but grace makes us humble. Grace, grace gives us gifts, but also makes us humble in our gifts. So King Jesus, in this season, I just pray we have such a deeper understanding of grace. That we become a grace-filled people that show grace to the world because it's the grace of God that draws us to his heart. So Father, I pray that day by day we look more like Jesus because scripture tells us Jesus came full of grace. And Jesus, I just pray we conform to your image of grace day by day. Let us take this grace to our families. Let us take this grace in our workplaces. Let us take this grace to our friends. Let us take this grace to Walmart, Target, the, the grocery store. Let us take it to the gas station where when people see us, they see grace flowing out of us as a, as a river of living water flows out of us. King Jesus, we just thank you for grace that draws our hearts into your goodness. And I just pray we put aside pride. We put aside the legalism. We even put aside the liberality that takes us too far but that we have a true revelation of grace that takes us in the place of balance. Father, I rebuke extremes in the name of Jesus. I rebuke extremes in families. I rebuke extremes in workplaces. I rebuke extremes in personal lives. Father, we are gonna be a people of balance who walk in truth and grace. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Right, is Pastor Betty not here today? Nursery? Is there, does anyone know if there's food across the street? Yes? I'm going to assume, and if I'm wrong, y'all can beat me up later. Uh, go across the street.